Welcome to our GSP Ace of the Day segment, a show where I offer my picks for each and every day's matches at the 2022 Australian Open. Now, you don't get into this game without thick skin. There will inevitably be days where you pick a match incorrectly, invariably. Be rounds where you read the entire board wrong. That said, when we look back at day eight of the 2022 Australian Open, about as brutal of beats as we can take here on this show. We go one and two down 1.2 units overall, but when you look at the losses we took, we had Iga Shiantek minus four and a half games over Serrano Kirstea. She ends up winning that match by four games. We had a Sabalenka sinner parlay sinner getting the job done in straight sets. Sabalenka reaching a third set deciding tie break, but ultimately falling just short against Kaya Kanepi in the end. That puts us again one and two down 1.2 units overall. Of course, we are always glass half full here at Crack Rackets, and it does feel worth pointing out Felix Ogieralias overcomes a 6-2 first set deficit to cover his minus one and a half game spread against Marin Cilic. Still brutal, brutal beats here on day eight of this Australian Open. And I do think karmatically, I don't know if that's a term as it relates to the karma, I suppose, surrounding this segment. It's good to get the brutal beats out of the way early here in week two, because of course the margins only going to be thinner between these players moving forward. And that leads us towards day number nine. Right now we're 16 and 19 overall, down 1.2 units, heading into the quarterfinal round of men's and women's singles action. It should be four exciting battles on day nine. You've got on the women's side, Ashley Barty, your top seed yet to drop a set, taking on American Jess Pagula. You've got 2021 French Open champion Barbara Krejcikova taking on a Madison Keys that is 10-1 here in 2022. Her only loss, three sets to Kasakina in week one of the season. She wins a title in week number two. Fantastic performance in a straight set victory over Paula Bedosa to get to this round. But of course, unless you're a top 25 opponent, unless you've got the weapons, to take the ball off Barbara Krejcikova's racket. She's beaten just about everyone she's faced over these past 12 months. So that is a fascinating matchup, one we will certainly explore here on today's show. Of course, you look on the men's side. Again, no Novak Djokovic in that top half of the draw. No Alex Zverev left either. That means you've got four players. Rafa Nadal, who, yes, we know the pedigree. We know what he's capable of. He has dropped just one set on his way to the quarterfinals. But is he the hardcourt force that he once was? Maybe, maybe not. That's something for us to ponder. As he faces Denis Shapovalov in the quarterfinal, the young Canadian into a slam quarterfinal for the third consecutive season what does this tell us about Shapovalov as we move forward? What should we expect from the young Canadian in this one? And then how much gas does Berrettini have left in the tank as he takes on a guy on Monfils playing some of the best tennis of his career over the past six months? These are the things that sit on our mind as we approach these picks here on day nine. That was an unexpected rhyme, but hey, great shot. We'll take it. And that has me feeling even better about our picks here today. And of course, I want to run you through all the money lines. Given there's only four matches, I want to offer my thoughts on each of them as well to show you which way I'm leaning. But, you know, again, I want to find value in the board for all of us. So we'll go through the money lines, the over-unders, game spreads, parlays, futures, and so much more, of course. If you're looking for daily recap content, Mini Break Podcast is the place for you. Recap day seven and eight here on Monday as well with the theme of who can win this tournament in mind. So if that's content that interests you, you can find it on our website, crackedrackets.com or on the Mini Break Podcast feed wherever 
wherever you listen to your podcast. Enough with the plugging, though. Enough with the intro. Let's get to it. Day nine of the 2022 Australian Open. Here are my GSP aces of the day. Let's start with those money lines. Let's start with the tennis abstract forecast projections for these matches. And, of course, money lines via our friends at the DraftKings Sportsbook. If you look on the women's side, you have a pick and you've got a lopsided favorite. That's a tricky, tricky scenario for us to try to maneuver there, obviously, because you look at Ashley Bartley, deservedly so, a minus 750 favorite over Jessica Pegula. Ashley Barty has dropped just one set here in 2022, and of course, she also won a title in the maiden week of the season. was a really impressive run, by the way, beating Coco Goff, beating you know uh, Sonia Kennan, and beating then uh, after Kennan was, excuse me, Iga Sviantek, followed by a straight set, went over a very much informal. Elena Rabakina. It wasn't just like some cupcake draw where it was only players outside the top 50. No, she was tested right from the first week of the season, dropped the opening set, was down a set and a break to Coco Golf, and has really cruised ever since that moment, was exceptional in wins over both Amanda Nisimova and Camilla Georgie, taking the ball off the rackets of the power of tennis players. And her movement has gotten better and better with every passing match. She's, in my opinion, second best serve on the WTA Tour. The numbers suggest as much as she's second in hold percentage, one of two players over 80% behind only Naomi Osaka. Uh, I would say Barbara Krejcikova is 1B in terms of this, but in terms of spot serving and just following things up with the plus one forehand and being decisive on when to move forward. And then, of course, you know, her, unless you have an elite, elite service power, her backhand slice return is no longer a liability, and she's shown a, a renewed comfort in hitting through that ball as well. Um, you know, she's just playing outstanding tennis in control of every facet of the game, and she not only has the plan A, which is the serve and the plus one, but she's also got a plan B, a plan C, a plan D. Her on-the-run forehand cross-court may be my favorite in all of tennis, men's or women's, just the, the angle, the knife she puts on that ball. That's why she's a minus 750 favorite over Jessica Pegula, who is into a quarterfinal round for the second straight season, but in my opinion, has not played her best tennis here to start uh, to still at this Australian Open despite making the quarterfinals and certainly played her best match against Maria Sakkari to reach this quarterfinal round. Uh, Pegula, 7 6 6 3 victory. You know, she's only dropped one set here. In Australia, it was also her very first set of the tournament to Angelina Kalnina. Certainly, you look from a serving perspective, she won 76% of her first serve points against Sakari. That's by far her best of the tournament. But I just, again, it, it just feels like she's lacked rhythm in all of her matches thus far. Now, again, I think she found that rhythm at times in that Sakari match where she was just stepping up and taking the ball early and moving the ball around the court, not letting Sakari dictate or hit anything from the center third. And I thought she's continued to return extraordinarily well. And, of course, if you look for Jessica Pagula, she was number one amongst WTA players, uh, top 50 WTA players last season in break percentage. Pagula finishes the season, I believe, yeah, with a 47.3% break percentage. You know, I, I, I just – I think she is still returning pretty well, and I think that's the thing that's come back to her more than anything else throughout the course of this Australian Open, but – I still don't think she quite has her rhythm on serve. She's definitely moving better than she did in weeks one and two of the year where she suffered losses in both of those events in straight sets. 
Still don't think she's quite playing quite as well as she did at her best. And obviously, uh, last season, I just think you have to be at your best to beat this version of Ashley Barty, who's so locked in. And, I mean, Ashley Barty doesn't lose matches anymore. You look in her last 52 weeks, 50-8 and eight overall. It's an 86% win percentage. She very much will remember her three-set loss to Carolina Mukova in last year's Australian Open quarterfinal. And, of course, she's also made the Australian Open quarterfinal, I believe, now in four consecutive seasons to Pagulas to... There's a reason. Ashley Barty, comfortable favorite tomorrow, 73.8% via Tennis Abstract, and then again, minus 750 via our friends at DraftKings. Now, when I look at the money line odds, minus 750, you're not going to bet that alone. You look at the over two and a half sets there. I just... I don't know what Pagula does to consistently hurt Ashley Barty because, yes, Pagula's number one in hold per, uh, break percentage and Barty's number two in hold percentage. Give me the big server over the big returner every time because the big server starts in control of the point. And I just think Barty is so effective at moving the ball around the court with that plus one ball that it sort of neutralizes the depth of the Jessica Pagula return. And yeah, I do think that backhand line drive power will give the Barty backhand some difficulties, but. Forehand to forehand, I think Barty wins those exchanges. I think she's better on the serve, and I think Pagula doesn't have a big enough return to neutralize uh, serve to neutralize the Barty return, which is at the best it's ever been, top twenty last season for the first time in her career. You know, minus five and a half games is a lot of is a lot of games. You know, that's six three six three or better, right? For Ashley Barty, and let's say she doesn't serve first, or let's say Pagula does get in a rhythm, starts out quick like she did against Sakari, a three love lead. That could be an issue. Five and a half games, as we learned with Sviantec, at this round of the tournament, that's a lot of games. Who's to say Pagula isn't to fight back? Minus four and a half games would be interesting because then four and three still covers. But at minus 205, I just don't love the odds there on its own. If you're going to throw Barty in minus 750 in something, it's to boost your odds at the end of the parlay. We'll keep that in mind as we move forward, but I'm going to stay away from that money line now. When I look at Keys Krejcikova, and again, Krejcikova, 54.6% favorite, according to our friends at Tennis Abstract, a minus 130 favorite against Madison Keys. You could argue Krejcikova very much just played this match against Victoria Azarenka. Vika, obviously a big server and goes big after uh, both wings on the ground stroke, wants to you know take that ball early on the rise, wants to be taking a big cut on the return of serve, and to Krejcikova's credit, she dominated in her matchup against Victoria Azarenka. A 2-2 two two victory for her. She wins 87% of her first serve points. It's only broken once throughout the course of the match. And of course, you know, you look for Krejcikova. She held off an Ostapenko who was playing a peak Ostapenko sort of performance uh, in that Krejcikova, uh, in that matchup against Krejcikova through the first set and a half and was also, I believe, up a set and a break in that match. And, you know, Krejcikova manages to fight her way back and just... Barty's 1A, Krejcikova's 1B in terms of spot servers. Krejcikova's ability to hit the slice out wide and the deuce and to open up the inside out plus one forehand. Her ability on the ad side not only to hit the slice down the tee but to hit the kicker out wide and just if you give her time to settle on that forehand, she can, she's just, you know, again, she got Vika guessing so many times. Vika had no direct, no idea which direction to go in. 
I, I do think Krejcikova plays such efficient tennis that even against the weapons of an Azarenka or an Ostapenko, the moment they leave something short, she capitalizes on that. And of course, when you're playing someone like a Vika or an Ostapenko, a power tennis-centric player, you have to be able to get them off their front foot. You have to be able to break their rhythm, to play on your terms. Krejcikova, perhaps the most efficient non-Ashley Barty player on tour in terms of playing on her terms. And look... Her and Madison Keys have never faced off before. And certainly, you look for Madison Keys. I would argue it's Barty 1, Keys 2, Anisimova 3 right now. Krejcikova Bedosa would round out the top five in terms of players who have accomplished things worth noting here in the 2022 season. You know, top five most accomplished of the year thus far. And, you know, by good reason. You look at what Madison Keys has been able to do uh, throughout the course of this season. She's 10-1 and overall in the year. She's winning 70.8% of her first serve points. That would be a career high for her and right now 1.7% above her career averages. She's also win, winning 50% of her second serve points. That's 1.4% above her career average. She's holding serve 79% of the time. Again, 4% above her career average would be right around a career high for her. She's breaking serve 45% of the time. That would by far be a career high for her and for the first time would be a top 10, top 5 sort of number amongst WTA top 10 tour players. Now, you look for Madison Keys. Again, who has she beaten thus far this year? Well, you know, she's beaten, uh, you know, I, I think a pretty pretty difficult gauntlet of matches thus far. You look for her in Adelaide, you know, she knocks out Svitolina, who wasn't playing great, but still third round of this event, and knocks out Samsonova, who played really well in three sets, knock out, knocks out Coco Goff, who did not play well in Australia, but I thought was playing well going into it. In the semifinals, she beats Kennan in round one. She beats a gassed Bedosa, but takes advantage of the fact that Bedosa didn't have legs and, you know, played on her terms and dictated from start to finish in a three and one victory to get here. And that's, I think, been the the permeating characteristic in each and every one of Madison Keys' wins is that she is dictating, regardless of the power tennis of Samsonova or the angle tennis of Sonia Kennan or the physicality of Coco Golf. All of the matches in the end are on Madison Keys' terms. And that Madison Keys is serving as well as she ever had, that that has opened up the confidence for her and opened up the opportunities for her to go big down the line and for her to take advantage of, uh, you know, again, any sitting second server, any sitting ground stroke in the court. Now, Barbara Krachikova does not sit anything, whether it be the service return. She does such a good job of, even when it's forced to slice on that return, just blocking the ball back and, you know, getting the point back to neutral. And that is a characteristic you obviously have to have against the Madison Keys and a big server like that. Again, she showed it against Vika as well. The difference being, I don't know if neutral is going to do it against Madison Keys. That's how well the American has played of late. And you look for Madison Keys, who just again, just coming off of a straight set victory over Paula Bedosa as well, where a match, she just breaks serve at ease at each and every point. Uh, You know, she goes, I believe you look overall, yeah, five of 16 on break point chances throughout the course of that match. Won 68% of her second serve points, uh, 43% of her first serve return points, 53% of her return points overall for the match. Krejcikova has a good serve, but against the length of keys and with the confidence of keys right now and with the ability to take chances given how well she's serving, I think that's a strength for keys. I give her the edge from a serving perspective when she's serving this well. I also think, you know, again, Krejcikova is a good returner, but I think against an elite serve, 
you know, her lack of an elite first step from a quickness standpoint. She anticipates extraordinarily well, and movement is never an issue for her. But I think against someone with weapons like Madison Keys, I think that exposes the lack of elite movement. And I just don't know. Again, Krejcikova hits her spots extraordinarily well when she's in rhythm. Keys has the sort of pace to disrupt that rhythm. Now, I thought the same thing about Vika heading into this match, uh, her match against Krejcikova. The difference between why I'm more confident in this Keys pick than I am the Vika pick is because I do think Madison Keys is tangibly moving better right now than Victoria Azarenka was. And I think that's been the biggest difference for Keys moving forward is she does have a bit more time to track down that ball in a cross-court rally, a bit more time to set her feet. And, you know, again, whether it's forehand, backhand, side, she has the sort of firepower to blast through anyone. This is the litmus test match for Madison Keys. She gets through this one. It's going to be very tempting to pick her as an underdog against Ashley Barty because it was a gassed Bedosa. That's the difference between why this is more of a prove-it match than that Bedosa sort of match was because Bedosa was so – even though they were both coming off of three-cent matches, the physicality of the Bedosa-Kostjuk match, you could just tell, had worn on Madison Keys and – you know, again, it is worth mentioning Madison Keys has played all four weeks now here in January and is coming off of a title run. So this is a third consecutive week of playing without a break. Barbara Krejcikova at least had a, a one-match break, right? Because I think she lost to Paula Bedosa. If it wasn't the finals, it must have been the semifinals of that warm-up event. You look for Barbara Krejcikova. It was the finals in Sydney. So she's also coming into this with three consecutive weeks of tennis. That's the difference. That's why, you know, again, when you turn to the fatigue factor, I don't think you can point to any of them, particularly given their last matches, as being particularly fatigued. But given the three consecutive weeks of tennis, given the evenness of their play, I'm going to go with a more powerful player. Give me Madison Keys, and it's the underdog pick here at plus 105. It's very narrow margins. Krejcikova does a great job, again, of neutralizing a big first serve, but I don't think neutral is good enough. I think you got to be aggressive on that return of serve against Madison Keys and take the ball off her racket. I just think Keyes is, is doing too well to do that to Krejcikova, who, yes, can place the ball extraordinarily well, but doesn't manufacture elite pace. Manufactures elite depth, but I think the pace of Keyes disrupts the depth of Krejcikova. Give me Keyes, plus 105 over Krejcikova, one unit to win 1.05 overall. That would be the one money line pick I go with because when you look at the over-unders, the, uh, excuse me, when you look at the money lines on the men's side, I mean, yeah, Rafa's a favorite, smack dab in the parlay zone, certainly when you look for him overall. Rafa on the day, minus 310 over Shapovalov, but not the greatest value there. Berrettini, minus 180 over Monfils, not the greatest value there. You can get some value on the over-unders and the game spreads on the day, and that's where I want to go next. You look at these over-unders. I think we also, by the way, just to that Krejcikova-Keys match, we're only going to throw a quarter of a unit on it, but because Barbara Krejcikova does find solutions, because she is able to take away you know, opponent's strength with her precision on the serve, with the depth of her return, There's abs- and just the way she fights, again, 11 of her last 15 losses, top 10 opponents, 14 of her 15 uh, to players currently in the top 25. And she's won like 55 matches on top of those 15 as well. Losses, she fights too hard. She's not going out without a fight. We're throwing a quarter unit on Krejcikova Keys to go the distance as well at plus 145. I also don't hate the over 21 and a half total games, even in a straight set match, 7-5, 6-4, you hit the over minus 125. Over 22 and a half, you might as well just take the over two and a half sets because over 22 and a half games plus 105 
you know, short of it being seven five seven five or you know seven six six four, that twenty two and a half isn't going to cover at that point unless it goes three sets. So you might as well just take the over two and a half sets, take the extra plus 40 onto it. And so 145 to me is the more value play. And that's why we're going with it. The over two and a half sets in Krejcikova Keys plus 145, quarter of a unit to win 0.36. I already mentioned it, the Barty spreads, minus five and a half games in my opinion. Good value, but too many games. Barty minus four and a half games. Right games, not good enough value. On the men's side, you know, again, Nadal, minus 310, no thanks. Berrettini, minus 180, not on its own. I don't, I just, the way Nadal has fought through show, uh, you know, match after match, finding solutions, that he won that first set against Manorino, despite how well Manorino played, and with Shapovalov having the strange first set that he did, and to win in straight sets over Zverev, who didn't play particularly well, but Shapo played with renewed aggression and extraordinary aggression. I thought he played really, really, really well throughout the course of the match and capitalizing on that first ball. He's going to have to do that against Rafa, and I suppose he gets to swing freely because there's no pressure when you're going up against an adult, right? So that, it does concern me a little bit, but it's raw. So like the over three and a half sets in Adal Chapo, minus 170, I really like that play. Probably should have hit it on its own, just minus 170, not the greatest odds. Actually, we're going to make an on-the-fly announcement. We're going to do minus 170 in that Rafa match. We're going to throw... Oh, no, we're not. We're not. Just kidding. Leave that in, though, West off. But I do think there's a world where Shapovalov gets a set. I just think now the draw has opened up for Rafa. And you know who capitalizes on draws opening up? It's Rafa freaking Nadal, who is still the favorite in this match. And again, Shapovalov... Uh, I mean, excuse me, Hatchinov in round three went after every plus one he saw, was able to steal a set. Now, I do think Shapovalov a bit more fluid in the outer thirds of the court than Hatchinov. I think the Shapovalov lefty lefty matchup is interesting as well. I just think Rafa's going to find a way to hit heavy top spin into that Shapovalov one handed backhand. I think Rafa's going to find a way to dictate. You know, Shapovalov came in yesterday uh, against Zverev on every plus one opportunity he could, but there were some passing opportunities for Zverev who just played tentatively throughout the course of the match. Rafa doesn't play tentatively. And so I do think Rafa ultimately advances and therefore to get him at minus three and a half games minus 150 or minus four and a half games in a three out of five set match at minus 120 that tells me that they think that Chapo is going to win it set as well which makes that Chapo minus 170 over three and a half sets with Rafa that much more tempting I like Rafa as the favorite to advance but not good enough value I'm not confident either way to make that pick there Berrettini versus Monfi though I know Monfi's has yet to drop a set in this event. But when you look for Matteo Berrettini, who earns a straight set win over a very much gassed Pablo Carreno Busta, but he's had a really rigorous path to get here. Four sets over Nakashima, four sets over Kozlov, five sets obviously in the fantastic thriller over Alcaraz, three sets over PCB. It's been the exact opposite for Gael Monfils on his pathway to this French, uh, to this Australian Open, excuse me, uh, quarterfinal. You look for Monfils, who's in his 10th quarterfinal, first since the U.S. Open, I believe, 2019. You know, straight set wins for him in all of his matches. He got uh, Kasmenovic in round four, Garin in round three, Bublik round two, Correa round one. It's as ideal of a path as you could have wanted if you are Guyon Monfils, who obviously comes out of the Novak Djokovic section of the draw, you look for Gael Monfils oh, since uh, the Canada Masters event. He's 23-8 and eight overall. That's a ridiculous run of success for the Frenchman who, you know, again, to go 23-8 and eight over any stretch of time uh, is extraordinarily impressive. He's winning 74% of his matches. He's holding 85.1% of the time. That's 4% above his career average. He's breaking 30% of the time. That's 
5% above his career average. By the way, 85.1 would rank 8th overall amongst top 50 players. 30% break percentage would rank 4th overall amongst top uh, f- amongst top 50 uh, ATP players. All of those numbers, career highs, all of that fact. You know, there's three players who rank top 10 in both hold and break percentage. Djokovic, Zverev, Medvedev, now over these past six months, Gael Monfils as well. Here's the fundamental difference. Against top 20 opponents during this stretch, again, since August 9th, he's 2-6 and six overall. So 23-8, and eight, six of the eight losses have come against top 20 opponents. Now, against those top 20 opponents, the hold percentage, 85.1 to 76.4. The break percentage, 30% to 20.6%. If you have the elite weapons, if you have the elite plus one, if you have the ability to put uh, Gael Monfils on his back foot— you can have success against him. And you look at some of the losses who have been to Sinner a couple of times, Rublev, Zverev, the weird loss to Schwartzman, which doesn't fit with this theme, although then again, it was a three-set loss. So I suppose that one particularly close. Now, Monfils has played these matches close. You know, there's a five-and-six loss in there, the five-set loss to Sinner, six-and-six to Rublev. But they have been losses because I do think in the crunch time, again, as as well as Monfils is playing right now, it's physically locked in as he is right now. Though I would point out, even though it was a straight set win, he got pushed physically. He looked gassed at the end of that match against Miamir Kesmenovic. But I think against elite weapons, you know, Monfils' game still falls a bit short. And you look for Gael Monfils in his career, uh, you know, again, in Grand Slam quarterfinals. Yes, it's the 10th quarterfinal for him of his career. But overall now, uh, I believe when you look for him at the Grand Slams, I want to say he's 3-7. and seven? No, 2-7, and seven, excuse me, in his career uh, coming into these Grand Slam quarterfinals. Beat Puy at the 2016 U.S. Open quarterfinals. Beat Ferrer 2008 Roland Garros quarterfinals. I just think Berrettini is a bad matchup for him. I think Berrettini does have that elite plus one sort of weapon that kind of sifts through all of the intangible qualities Gael Monfils to, uh, brings to a match, the improvisational skills and the baseline creativity and just extending rallies. Because, uh, you know, Berrettini doesn't deal with that. Berrettini's going to go after the forehand. And if you hit a slice, he's going to go after the next forehand. And if you manage to get that ball back, well, now you've hit the ball even shorter in the court. Now he gets another forehand from an advantageous position. He has the sort of weapons to put away the plus one response, that extra ball Monfils makes back. An extra ball is valuable, certainly, but less so against Matteo Berrettini because he is that efficient with his plus one tennis. And, you know, Berrettini's been lights out as well over these past 52 weeks. You look at what he's been able to accomplish over this course of time. Matteo Berrettini, uh, in his last 52 weeks of play, 43 and 13 overall. He's winning 77% of his matches. He's 42 and 5 against players ranked outside the top 10. And, you know, again, those five losses Alcaraz, Felix, a couple of guys who are hovering right around there. A weird, a weird one to Davidovich Fokina to start last year's clay court season, but that was the exception, not the rule. I just think the weapons of Berrettini, this is the first serious test for Gael Monfils of his 2022 season. Look, Gael's had a ton of success this year. He wins the title in Adelaide, wins over Tommy Paul, Kokonakis, Hachinov, and then, you know, again, has yet to drop a set here in Australia. But this is his first top 10 test. This is his first top 20 test. And I think there's just an adjustment period to, you know, again, getting ready for that sort of tennis. Meanwhile, Gael Monfils, uh, meanwhile, Carl, uh, Matteo Bertini, there's the name, has already faced a Carlos Alcaraz, has already faced a Nakashima, has already faced a Carreno Busta as well. He's seen a lot of good faces. ATP Cup also. He's very calloused 
coming into this match. He's got the weapons advantage, I think, from an eye test perspective. He's also played better tennis and been forced to play ten- better tennis than Gael Monfils has to this point. I like Berrettini to advance. And at minus two and a half games over Gael Monfils, you get minus 120 odds. That's too much value. We got to capitalize on that. So we're going to throw a full unit on it. Again, it's time to put our money where our mouth is. This is the crunch time of this 2022 Grand Slam as such. We're putting a full unit on Berrettini to win 0.82. That are, those are your two over-under and spread aces of the day. Give me Berrettini minus two and a half over Monfils, a unit to win 0.82. Now, we're, so again, quarter unit on Krejcikova Keys, but that's because it's plus 145 odds. I like the extra value there. In terms of our final picks, wouldn't it be an ace of the day without a parlay, without a look at the futures? Of course, for our parlays, given the fact that I do think a couple of favorites are going to advance on the day, I am double dipping, but you're allowed to double dip at this point of the tournament. Give me Barty for all the aforementioned reasons. Just don't think Pagula has a big enough serve to constantly hurt her. And I think the big serve of Barty beats the outstanding returning of Pagula. Barty minus 750. Nadal minus 310 over Shapo. Shapo's played great. I do think he wins a set. I just think Nadal's a different monster right now. He sees the draw. I think it's going to take a Berrettini serving performance or a Medvedevian physicality performance to beat him. And then give me Berrettini, minus 180 over Gael. Again, the plus one of Berrettini, the biggest weapons on the court. It's the most decisive on the court. I don't think he's that physically worn down. That's the sort of monster he is. And, you know, again, I do just think uh, he's been forced to play better tennis in this tournament more than Monfils has. I would like – it'll be exciting to see Monfils step up his level. I just think Berrettini is going to be able to deal with all the nonsense. So let's throw Berrettini in the mix as well. And you favorite, uh, you money line parlay those three favorites. You get plus 133 odds on the day. Now, there's a world, certainly, where we have read this board entirely wrong. And I, as I mentioned at the beginning, absolutely. Krejcikova, Pagula, Shapovalov, Monfils, all playing capable uh, well enough right now to earn victories on the day. But I won't lie. I feel pretty confident in this board. I think day nine is going to be a kind day to us here on the ace of the day segment. Of course, as we look forward you know, the Barty minus 140 to win the title, Sviantec plus 330. I do think we get a Barty Sviantec final, and at plus 160, you can bet those two right now to make the final against one another. That's fascinating to me. I want to see one more round of men's odds. I really just want to see the semifinals. I'm not sure. Like, the Nadal thing is such a wild card in my calculation. I did not factor him in as one of the top contenders in this tournament. Now, Tsitsipas, Sinner, Medvedev, I knew would be in the mix. I thought Zverev would be here as well. He is not. Now it's Nadal up there. It's his section. It's his half to lose. And some of you may have said, well, that's been the case from the beginning. I disagree. But it's all fascinating. And a Med- uh, Medvedev, Nadal, a Medal. A Medal final? Can we call it that? If it's Fidal, Medal, I'm fine with that. A Medal final is like plus 150 odds. That's interesting. That's definitely, definitely interesting. So keep an eye on that as well. But again, your aces of the day for day nine of the 2022 Australian Open. The underdog we like, give me keys, plus 105 over Krejcikova, one unit to win plus, uh, 105. Give me Berrettini, minus two and a half games over Monfils, minus 120, one unit to win 0.82. We're hedging a bit on the Krejcikova-Keys match, over two and a half sets, plus 145, quarter of a unit, 
to win .36, and then we're parlaying up some favorites. Barty, Nadal, Berrettini, all on the money line, plus 133 as a three-team parlay, one unit to win 1.33. Those are your picks for day nine of the 2022 Australian Open. Of course, as always, if you're looking for more recap content, every day's podcast recap available on our mini break podcast feed. A shout out, as always, to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the of an editing job he does day in, day out, making all of our content possible. With all of that said, we hope you enjoy the action at the 2022 at Australian Open. And as always, may the odds be ever in your favor. Good luck, everyone. Thank you.